This is ESPN Chicago's Fast Break. Everything Bulls and NBA in a convenient two-hour package. Or if you miss your shot for live, the Fast Break podcast is available on the ESPN Chicago app. Now back to Fast Break. Here's Jay Hood and Chris Black on ESPN 1000. Welcome in to Fast Break. I'm Chris Black. Jonathan Hood is off this week. We're talking the NBA and the Bulls with you for another hour until 3 o'clock. And then we have White Sox baseball right here on ESPN 1000. The Bulls have a big game tonight at Cleveland. The Cavs are 41-32. The Bulls are 42-31. and The Bulls are sitting a game up on Cleveland at the moment in the fifth spot in the Eastern Conference. They're also a game up on Toronto, but they own the tiebreaker with Toronto. But at this moment, the Bulls have a huge game against the Cavs tonight. We'll talk Bulls basketball with you here on ESPN 1000 at 312-332-3776. But also, I, I was discussing this idea. Kyrie Irving tomorrow will be able to play in a home game for the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, the, the Nets face off tonight on the road. Uh, they've got a big contest as well where they face off against the Heat. The Heat are coming off of a loss last night against the Knicks. So maybe the Nets are probably the play there. Uh, so Durant, Kyrie taking on Miami. The game's on NBA TV later on this evening. I've had a thought in my head since Kyrie scored 60 uh, a couple of uh, days ago, right? It was back on the 15th, Tuesday the 15th at Orlando. The Nets won 150-108. to 108. Kyrie had 60 points. He shot 20 of 31 from the field, 8 of 12 from 3. He also went to the free throw line 13 times. He made 12. 60. Now, Kyrie, to me, I don't care for his thoughts off the court, uh, but as a basketball player, he's brilliant. You know, like, I've always looked at Kyrie as, as the guy, you go to a college party, he's the guy sitting in the corner in the, the beanbag chair, uh, and, and when the beer pong ball rolls towards his foot and you go to pick it up, he's, he's trying to talk to you about the Illuminati and about how there's these secret societies controlling the world. And you're like, hey, bro, just hand me the ping pong ball. Like, I just want to play beer pong. But he's got, like, all these humongous worldly thoughts that no one else has ever conceived but him. Like, that, that to me is Kyrie Irving. But a hell of a basketball player, right? Like, he is so much fun to watch on the court. And he's incredible. His handles are sick. He can shoot it from anywhere. But, like, his career is different than, say, someone like Allen Iverson. Because AI was stuck in one place. He was in Philly for the, for the majority. I, I know at the end of his career, he bounced around Memphis, Denver, different places. But the point being is, Allen Iverson made his, his Hall of Fame career in Philly. And they just got there to the finals one time and could never quite get back to that final spot. He could never get over the hump. He was the only star, superstar, on a team that continued to try year and year and year and year. They, they continue to try, right? And so I was, I was thinking to myself, when I saw that Kyrie scored 60, the first thing that popped in my head is like, man, you remember Iverson? Iverson used to do this all the time. He'd attack the rim. He'd be able to shoot from, from distance. He'd also be able to get his handles and take anyone to the hole. The whole thing, like Iverson's incredible. And then I started to think to myself, is that the best comparison? Kyrie Irving and Allen Iverson. And the question is, who's better? 312-332-3776. Ray on the north side. Ray, Iverson or Kyrie, what do you got? 
Hey, good afternoon, man. Love you. Love your show. Love all you guys. Thanks. Um, so the first foremost, it's no question it's AI. I understand the skill set might be comparable, but AI, one, he never got injured. Two, if you swear to switch out AI and Kyrie, Kyrie's not taking that busted cast of characters AI had to the finals, even though the East was weak back then. I don't. I think, hands down, AI was more team player. He wanted to win. You don't question that. You can question all that stuff about Kyrie and the fact that he's always hurt. I think it's not close. Um, I did want to mention something else about the Bulls. I listen to you guys all the time. And, you know, with this run of them not being able to beat good teams, that's been going on for a while. But one thing I noticed early in the season, I used to tell my buddies, when they were all together, when Lonzo was healthy, even the games they won against some bad teams, the Bulls, if you remember, they would fall behind by a lot. And then they would fall back, and they'd win those games. And I used to tell my friends, man, if you play a good team, you're not coming back from those deficits. And I noticed that early on, and people really didn't talk about it because we were winning, right? But I did notice that characteristic early in the season as well. Uh, listen, I'll hang up, man. I love you guys, man. You guys are all awesome. Oh, Jay, Miss Jay Hood, but but you guys are great. Keep up the good work. Man. Thanks, Ray. Call again, all right, man? And, and Ray's right. I, I think it's something a lot of us were kind of thinking at the same time was when the Bulls were winning those games, it was because of the run that they would go on at the start of the fourth quarter to kind of bring the team back. It's not like they, they, they were winning and blowing teams out from the front. It was, wait, the Bulls are down seven. Oh, here comes DeRozan in the fourth. Ah, now it's tied. Oh, now the Bulls win. And, like, that just didn't seem sustainable at the time. We're talking NBA with you here on ESPN 1000, 312-332-3776. Kyrie or AI? Brian in Fox River Grove, what do you think? Hey, how's it going? First-time caller. What's up, man? Hey, I just wanted to say that at first off, I think this is a fun comparison, but Allen Iverson is absolutely by far the better of the two players. He's definitely has those leadership skills and he's got that killer mentality. Kyrie's always needed that alpha above him and he's always been more of that beta. While he did, you know, he won that championship for the Cavaliers. I honestly believe like if you would have partnered Allen Iverson with a 1A or a 1B, when all he had to Kem- was Dikembe Mutombo, that he could have gone above and beyond. You mean Eric Snow didn't get it done for you? No, Eric Snow definitely didn't get it done. Or, <laughs> or McKee. Yeah, right. I loved Aaron McKee. Yeah, I was a humongous Aaron McKee fan back in the day. <laughs> so was I. I was a Sixer fan after I was a Bull fan. Good stuff, Ryan. Appreciate the phone call. I, yeah, I think that's interesting because, you know, it, it's a tough comparison to a certain extent. Because I think the games are similar. Uh, AI, better scorer. Kyrie, the better shooter. Kyrie, the better with handles. AI, better attacking the rim. I would also suggest then, you know, you look at the career like Brian just suggested. AI was in one spot for the majority of his career. He, he, He played 12 seasons with the 76ers. Kyrie right now, he's played... Uh, about, let's see, he's played 11 seasons, but he's bounced around. He played, you know, time with Cleveland. He was also with Boston for the two seasons, and that, that kind of run, the two seasons in Boston, was uh, not good. And then Brooklyn now, he, he's been out half the time. Injured, but then also vaccine stuff. So, you know, you haven't seen Kyrie at the same level that you saw 
AI for the first 12 years with the 76ers. But then again, if Kyrie had his own team, would he give you more of a production like we saw with Iverson with the 76ers? I, I think it's interesting. William, on the south side, you're on ESPN 1000. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. Um, can you hear me? I got you, William. What's up? Okay. Yeah, no, to me, it's AI without a doubt. You have, and I don't care really how you compare it, it's because AI was a number one dog. And what I mean by that, he could take a team as the number one guy and potentially make them a contender. You see that when Iverson, I'm sorry, when um, Kyrie tried to do it with Boston, things fell apart. He couldn't pull it through. If you'd have taken AI and put him with that squad with Boston, he would have. He they would have got somewhere. So to me, you know, it just comes down to: Are they able to actually leave the team and take them? And I see that Island Iverson doing that all the way. Good point, Will. And I think that's you know, AI did get his team to the finals. Man, that game against uh, the Lakers in the finals. AI went off. He hit the shot in the corner, steps over Ty Lue. Like, that was AI's moment. Unfortunately, I think the moment for Kyrie is a better moment. Kyrie hit the game-winning shot in Game 7 of the NBA Finals. But then again, Kyrie had LeBron in that situation. And LeBron had the block, and the block is probably the bigger moment from that game. So I get it. Like, it's tough to compare. And that's why I was I was putting it out there, and I, I need your help at 312-332-3776. It's not necessarily me giving you a hot take and saying, I'm right, this is the take. The, the take is, I've seen Kyrie play a lot, and I don't know if there's a better player to compare to AI, or I mean to, to Kyrie, than AI. You know, unless you want to say that Kyrie is like a, a more polished version, version of Nick Van Axel. I mean, Nick Van Axel was incredible, but I don't, I don't think he ever got to the heights that Kyrie could bring to the table. So, like, and, and I feel as if that's a bit, saying Nick Van Axel is a bit disrespectful to Kyrie's game. I think Kyrie's better than that. I just wonder if Kyrie had his own team for an extended period of time, like 10 years, would his numbers look the same as AI's? He's a Hall of Famer. Kyrie will be a Hall of Famer, too. Ron and Bullingbrook, Iverson or Irving? Who would you take? I saw Iverson come into the league and tear it up, man. He was amazing. And I saw his whole career, and I also saw him cross over Jordan. Oh yeah, which I didn't ever think would happen, and he didn't do it again. <laughs> but I would take Iverson all the way, man. Iverson but, all the way. Um, yeah. Also, too, with the Bulls. What do you think about this? I've seen the games all this year with DeRozan and everybody. I think DeRozan step up huge when Levine's gone. I don't know if Levine is capable of doing the same thing without DeRozan. What are your thoughts on that, Ron? I think you're. Uh, I think you hit you you hit the bullseye there with that one. I, I think what we've seen from Zach Levine is better play in each of the last two seasons, but he needs to be the second or the third best player on a championship team. I don't think Zach is the number one, a true number one star that can carry a team through a playoff round into the next round and, and head towards, towards a championship. He needs help. 
Now, I don't think that that's degrading to suggest that. He's a really good player. If I had to draw out a list right now, I would imagine he'd fall somewhere between 20 and 40 as the best players in the league. I don't know if I I would be able to put him into the top 15. I think there's a lot of guys that kind of can make that claim. And based on the season they're having, the health that they have, all these different things, you can kind of move them about. But he is not a number one star. And he's shown us this. And I don't think that that should surprise Bulls fans by hearing that. Like, you watch the games. You've seen it. He he just, it, it's just, there, there's something about the lack of efficiency in big spots that limits this team from winning basketball games. Whether it be the de- poor defensive efforts, whether it be uh, turnovers. You know, th- this season, I've, I've really, uh, it's really caught my eye how sloppy Zach Levine is with the basketball. A, when he's in traffic, and B, when defenders are up in his stuff, when they are up in him guarding him, he is so sloppy with the basketball. For a number one player on a team, like it should be a little bit tighter there. Like You shouldn't have to worry coming down the court and then dribbling it off your shoe. That's something that has happened this year with Zach Levine. And like it, it, I think it's, it's difficult for a lot of people to kind of view Zach's play and say, but he has all the skills. Like if you were if you were in a lab cooking up a basketball player, if you're playing 2K and you're coming up with a guy, you know he has all the skills that Jordan would have, right? Hit a fadeaway three. He can sky. He can he can move in the open court. But like there's just little things of nuance that don't fit sometimes, and it makes his game seem flawed. Which if you're trying to win basketball games, I, th- I think is. Is notable, and I think that's why when you have the conversation, like who would you rather have as a Bulls fan, Donovan Mitchell or Zach Levine? I think a lot of people around the league would say Donovan Mitchell. Who would you rather have it on your team, Devin Booker or Zach Levine? It's Devin Booker, no doubt. Booker is a more stable defensive player, and he is someone who seems to be a more efficient offensive player. I get it. Zach can get you buckets anywhere. But I I think when you kind of look at his game and assess it to others – or rising stars around the league, I think that's where you have to have like a reality check as a Bulls fan. Is he a max player? Yes. Is he going to win you a championship? Probably no. 312-332-3776. Chris Block here on Fast Break. Jonathan Hood is off today. If you want to continue to, to give uh, your opinion, Kyrie Irving or Allen Iverson will take those calls. We'll also preview Bulls and Cavs next. This is Fast Break with Jay Hood and Chris Black. Follow Jay Hood on Instagram at IGJHood or at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000. Chris Block here talking NBA and Bulls basketball with you until 3 o'clock. Then we have White Sox baseball right here on ESPN 1000. Jonathan Hood is off today, taking your calls at 312-332-3776. Talking about Kyrie Irving, who's the uh, good comparable to him? Is it Allen Iverson? Did Iver- Iverson clearly had more success individually as a player. Kyrie's had more success as a team player, though. He's a player who's won a championship. AI never got to that point. But then again, AI did alone. Kyrie had LeBron. 
Brian in Valparaiso, you're on ESPN 1000. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Um, I definitely think it's Allen Iverson for sure. I'm not trying to relate this to like a video game standpoint or anything, sure. but like I remember growing up playing video games and like you could play with Allen Iverson and just dominate on the floor. You do those spin moves or those crossovers and just it was it was fun. I mean, you could dominate anyone. And playing with Kyrie on you know 2K is kind of just like playing with another player in a way. Not trying. I mean, no offense to Kyrie or anything and the 2K stats and relating it to a video game and all that, <laughs> but that's just growing up in my life. That's I remember just I loved playing with Allen Iverson when I played video games because it just was such a dominating force. Um, and then I, you were talking about Levine earlier and like being that number one guy. Yeah. Um, and I feel like before there were a lot of talks with like him possibly going and joining Durant in Brooklyn. Um, and after what's going on like this year and last year and the Bulls, you know, changing front office and stuff, it seems like the Bulls might be in a little bit of a better position than the Nets. Um, what are the chances that you think Levine can bring Durant over or even Durant would want to come over to the Bulls and play with DeMar and, and Levine and, and Lonzo instead of, uh, you know, Kyrie and, and uh, Ben Simmons, who hasn't really been on the floor the last two years? Well, I, I think the, the Nets still have a great opportunity to win the finals this year. So... You know, and thanks for the call, Brian. I, I would say if you're hoping that KD comes to Chicago, um, I don't think that that's realistic. I, I think uh, the, the way to look at it is Kevin Durant's going to dictate wherever he wants to go. New York City is the biggest media market in the country. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe New York, the Knicks are the bigger draw in the city of New York. But the Brooklyn Nets, it's not like it's some Joker franchise. I, I don't I don't think there's any ties to Durant in Chicago. And yeah, it's wishful thinking, but if anything's gonna happen, it would be eventually Zach going to wherever Durant is to team up. But I also think that those rumors are like I don't think there's anything substantial to that. I think when you look at the whole situation, I, the, the Bulls are gonna, probably going to have to shop elsewhere. I don't think they're going to be in the Durant services. And I don't think they'll be in the LeBron services. It'll have to be someone on the lower level of the top elite group of players. And I think that's the, that's the only way to approach it. Uh, to kind of finish up the uh, Iverson and the Kyrie conversation, Jake Cantu is producing today's show. Jake is uh, a Gen Zer. Am I right on that? You're a Gen Zer, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. So, what's your opinion? Because I feel as if you know when you compare the two players, do you have the same result? We've heard a lot of callers suggest Iverson's a better player. When you look at it, a Gen Zer, do you respect Iverson's career to the point where you say, "Yeah, Kyrie's not quite that," or do you say, "You know, Kyrie can do the same things I saw Iverson in highlights do." I'm going to take the video game approach, too, because I can't really talk on and speak on and say that, oh, I watched enough of Allen Iverson and his, you know, prime and, and seeing him play. Right, right. Uh, but playing as Iverson, right, you could do so much. You know, like the guy was saying, you're stick moving and you're crossing up all these people. Step sure, at, like, sure. I can't say I would take Iverson. I can't right. say, you know, we still haven't seen, like you said earlier, we still haven't seen Kyrie enough. Uh, in his career, yeah, he's accomplished so much, um, but he hasn't played. I feel like a whole lot, you know, compared to Iverson did. So I would take Iverson. You know, you you have to respect that. And and again, you look at it in a way of, you know, Iverson did it first, and he put in his work, and and Kyrie's still going through the motions right now, and and still in his career. 
All right. That's, see, there's a good perspective. And that's why, like, I, that's why it's not a thought that I came out with where it's, um, here's the take. I'm giving you a hot take. Here you go. Kyrie is the next Iverson. It's, here's the thought that I had. I wanted to see what the feedback was from you and, and to see, like, am I wrong on this? Are they kind of close? Is it something to kind of think about? And, and to the point of the careers, like, if you just take Allen Iverson, his 12 seasons with the 76ers, he played in 722 games. Kyrie, to this point, he's played 10 years in the league. He's only played in 602 games. So Iverson did have a longer time with the 76ers, which would get him to the 722. But the, you know, the games, the points per game, the minutes, uh, just a little different when you compare the two players. Uh, Bulls and Cavs tonight, huge game for the Chicago Bulls. Uh, th- this is a situation for the Bulls where it's a must-win game tonight against the Cavs. Things did not go well on Thursday night against the Pelicans. Pels win at 126-109. Zach Levine heading into the fourth quarter had 32 points. He finished with 39. The fourth quarter was a complete disaster for the Chicago Bulls. It was the start of the quarter that really uh, went terribly for the Bulls. First five minutes of the fourth quarter, uh, Zach went to the bench, the Bulls unit, of bench players, no one could score. Io was out there. Caruso was out there. Derek Jones is out there. And really, offensively, they broke down. But also on the defensive side, uh, they weren't playing well either, giving up three-point shots. There was the Alvarado uh, hidden corner trick, which uh, I think maybe caught a lot of Bulls fans by surprise. It's something he's done before this year. And it's completely legal because it was off of a made bucket, Alvarado went to the corner off of the made bucket and hid near the bench in the corner, waiting for Caruso to gather the inbound pass on the baseline. And they darted out and jumped in front of Caruso and Caruso stuttered and it was traveling and it was a turnover and things were just bad at the start of the fourth quarter. The Pelicans win that basketball game by 15. They beat the Bulls by 15 in a game where in the fourth quarter, it was tied at one point, right? Like, like in the second half, it was a tied game. And the Pelicans blew the Bulls out in the fourth. And, and Zach was there, but, like, this is one of those situations. You go back to Thursday night, and you say, okay, does the box score tell you the whole story? And I'd say in, in most NBA games, it doesn't necessarily do that. But I, I think if you look at the box score of the game on Thursday night against the Pelicans, it kind of does tell the whole story. How did the Bulls lose this game? Well, why don't we look at the free throws? The Pelicans shot 32 of 34 from the free throw line. The Bulls shot 15 of 19. Did you hear that? The Pelicans shot 32 of 34. The Bulls shot 15 of 19. Basically, for the Bulls on Thursday night, the only person that got to the foul line was Zach Levine. He went 11 of 13. Caruso made four. Patrick Williams missed two. Tristan Thompson missed one. And Javante Green missed one. That's it. That's it from the foul line. So that's stat number one. How did the Bulls lose this game to the Pels if you didn't watch the game? Well, there's one. Completely doubled up on the free throws. Well, if you're not going to shoot threes, because the Bulls don't shoot threes, you got to win the rebounding rate, right? Well, the Pelicans out-rebounded the Bulls by 10, 43-33. Okay, got that down. 
And then also, like, if you're not going to shoot threes, you got to get to the foul line. You got to out-rebound. And then the third stat is you can't turn the basketball over. Well, how did that go for the Bulls? The Bulls had 15 turnovers. The Pelicans had 10. Okay. Uh, Also, one other note in the box score. The Pelicans, points in the paint, 48 to the Bulls, 42. So even if you didn't watch the game and you didn't see how pathetic the fourth quarter was for the Bulls on Thursday night, all you had to do is look at the box score. You're not winning a game where the Pelicans make 32 free throws and you only attempt 19. You're out-rebounded by 10, and you have five more turnovers? Who cares that Zach Levine had 39? There's no way you're winning the basketball game. I mean, it, it, it just was a terrible loss tonight. The Bulls, host the, or the Bulls are on the road against the Cavs. It's a big matchup for the Chicago Bulls. I think it's a must-win. It, it is certainly a game that they need to snap this streak that they're on right now. The Bulls have lost 10 of 13 as of tonight. They are one game up of the cat on the Cavs. The Bulls are fifth. The Cavs are sixth. It's a huge matchup. We hear from Nick Ferdell next. Welcome back to Jay Hood and Chris Black, the hosts of ESPN Chicago's Fast Break. Watch the show on Twitch.tv or the Twitch app. Follow ESPN 1000 Chicago. Now, Fast Break flies on. On, on Chicago's, Chicago's home for sports, ESPN 1000. Hood is off today. Chris Black sitting in with you here on Fast Break. Every Saturday throughout the spring, talking basketball, Bulls basketball, NBA basketball right here on ESPN 1000 from 1 to 3, 3 o'clock coming up. We have White Sox baseball in the desert. White Sox Angels, 3 o'clock right here on ESPN 1000. Your home for White Sox baseball in the Cactus League. We will have some baseball later on today here on ESPN 1000. Uh, on Thursday night, we got a chance to talk with Nick Ferdell here on ESPN 1000. I'm Black and Abdal. Weeknights at 6, every single weeknight right here on ESPN 1000. Uh, I get to host with Adam Abdal, and we got to talk to our good friend Nick Ferdell from ESPN. And we started the conversation talking about the Bulls and this idea that people in the opinion space halfway through this season were going after Nick for his thoughts about the Bulls heading into the season, how they weren't good enough. And I asked Nick about uh, those people that were going after him and, and saying that he was wrong about this Bulls team. And, Nick, your response? This is exactly who I thought this team was going to be all along. thought they were going to be better. I thought they had a chance to, to maybe win a round, a series. But in the end, stars win in the postseason. And this is my point to... Cap and Sylvie as they're pumping up, oh, is this a title contender? (laughs) Like, are you kidding me? They just don't have enough. Uh, I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news. They had a nice start. They had a really strong first half of the year. It's all well and good. You have to win in the playoffs with superstars. And the Bulls have Levine and DeRozan has had a hell of a year. They are very good players. But they are not superstars, and there is not a superstar currently on this roster. So in the end, this is about where I thought the Bulls would always be. And if they play any of those top teams in the Eastern Conference in the first round, 
if everybody stays healthy, that will be the end of the season. When you look at Zach Levine, you know, he's got the knee issue. It keeps flaring up. He's either questionable or or probable for every single game now. And he's going to have to have work done on it no matter what it is, whether it's a draining or something like that at the end of the season. He's also due to make a ton of money in this offseason. If you were the Bulls, how would you approach Zach Levine going into this offseason? Adam, truth be told, if I were the Bulls, I would have moved Levine two years ago. And it's one of the things that people got all over me for. Oh, Levine, he's an all-star. We all know there are differences between being an all-star and being a difference maker on your team in the biggest of games. An all-star is a nice label. And Levine absolutely proved me wrong with that initial deal. Because he, when he signed for four years, about $80 million a few years back, I was like, ah, I don't know if I would have given somebody coming off knee surgery that kind of guaranteed money. He hasn't proven it. Well, he proved he was better than that contract. But, again, the three of us have had this conversation for several years now. Once Levine was up for max money and the max deal that is likely going to come his way, the expectations change. And once those expectations change, you're going to view him in a different light because you're going to expect more out of a max type of player. And Levine is still young enough where I think he can get better. I just don't think he can get as good to a point as that type of max player who's going to deliver you closer to a title. And that was my point with this Bulls team all along in the context of our conversation. When they made the moves they did last summer, you thought, all right, they're better. Absolutely, they're better. But what's the ceiling for the group? And to me, this is a team that, again, will get knocked out in the first round. Maybe they win that first series, but they're they're no better than a second-round team. And in order to think that they're going to be on the the road to some improvement, DeRozan has to stay at the level that he's at, and Levine has to be even better than what he's shown. And to this point, guys, if it were me, even now for the Bulls, I'm not giving Zach Levine a max contract, but – I think at this point they've kind of made their bed and they're going to have to lay in it because what are you going to get back unless you work out some kind of sign-and-trade? Historically, in those sign-and-trades, as we've seen through time, the team that's trading away, the guy who's getting the max deal, isn't getting much of a return back in most cases. And Nick, though, the one thing to kind of look at is you you pay pay attention to the landscape of the league uh, just as well as anyone. I mean, who's out there for the Bulls to even try and acquire at a top level talent you know what i'm saying like like you you mentioned this is like the lot that they they have you know laid for themselves but basically who's that star who they could go get the all the big major stars have previously been disgruntled and then found their new landing spots in recent uh nba time you know the last couple of seasons chris you're, you're right <laughs> that's the problem for the bulls that's why in hindsight If you weren't sure on Levine, then you move him a year and a half ago because you say, okay, he's on a really good contract. We're going to get some young pieces back, and we're going to rebuild with those young pieces. But the hope internally was, hey, Levine's a good player. He's still developing. It'll take some time. I understand both sides of it, but my point all along from the moment that they signed into that original deal was, Is this the type of player who is going to make you 
that much better in the biggest of games. And for as well as Levine has played at times in the regular season, and there's no denying that, he has never shown that he's going to play at the same high level over and over and over again, especially in the playoffs, because he's never been. So if you give him that max money, you're trying to lock up an asset, I understand that, but you you have to bank on something that no one's seen, and you have to bank that he's going to be better in in these type of platforms that he's never played on. So that is a lot when you're talking about that kind of money, but it all comes back around to I just don't see the ceiling for this core group being that high. You mentioned that if they go against one of those top teams in the playoffs, who do you think their best matchup is? Because at the beginning of the season, we're like, all right, the Celtics, they could probably match up well with them. The Heat, they could probably match up well with them. As long as it's not the 76ers, Bucks, or Nets at full strength, then I think the Bulls are good. But now it's like the Cavs and the Raptors, and that's kind of it. That is exactly it, Mr. Abdallah. I I don't see the Bulls, again, if everybody's healthy on both sides. I don't see them beating Philly or Boston or Miami or Milwaukee. The, the the Nets are too far down, but to me the Nets are clearly a better team. And, and the Celtics, the way they've come on, guys, defensively, they've been awesome. That is not a team you want to mess with in the playoffs. So I don't see a good matchup for the Bulls. And they would have to catch some serious breaks in order to make it work. But as far as where the best landing place for them would be, it would be to somehow see Cleveland or Toronto. But, Adam, I don't see that happening either because, again, this was always the point with the way the schedule worked out. Everybody's crushing me early in the season. Oh, the balls are winning all these teams. Look at the back half of the schedule, even the next couple of weeks. It is not good. <laughs> they got a lot of games that they could lose there. So uh, there are plenty of variables still, and we'll see how the, the final numbers shake out. But it just doesn't line up this season as making some kind of run that I think a lot of people at home thought was going to happen a while ago. Nick, uh, Kyrie Irving can now play in home games in Brooklyn. Did he play this right this season? In his own mind, Chris, he did. And the part that I've gone back and forth with him on now for about three months is he never viewed it as he was letting down his team. Now, if you're watching this situation play out and you're saying, all right, Kyrie got exactly what he wanted, didn't take the shot, and now he can play. Well, that's all well and good, but the Nets have nine games left. So he didn't do his team any favors in setting them up for uh, a solid uh, or, or best possible matchup in the playoffs. But, guys, having said all that, Kyrie believes that he can be better than anybody else out there on the floor. And what he's shown in these last couple of weeks when he has played has been exactly that. And the confidence level that this team has right now with Kevin and Kyrie playing at the level they're playing at is gigantic. So, in the end, yeah, in his mind, I think he played exactly right. When you're looking at this from a distance, though, you're seeing a guy who made a personal decision that did not benefit his team. And whatever you think about that, I can tell you that Kyrie doesn't care. <laughs> He's going to do what he wants. But with the way they've been playing, they're not afraid of seeing anybody in the East for sure, and they think they can knock everybody out. Are they the best team in the East? 
if they're healthy and Kevin and Kyrie are playing like this, Adam, I would take them to win the East. I don't think they can get all the way through the East and then against the Phoenix or a Memphis or the Warriors are kind of fading, but if Steph comes back, we'll see. I don't think they can win everything this year unless they get something maybe from from Simmons or they get something more from Seth Curry or Dragic. But in the East, if Kyrie and Kevin Durant are healthy and at this level, yes, they can win it. Nick, from your time covering the league, um, when you watch Kevin Durant play, like take take me inside of seeing him every single night. And, and you covered him when he was with the Warriors as well. Give us something about KD that you witnessed that maybe watching on TV and watching on League Pass, you don't pick up on the greatness of Kevin Durant, but you're there every single day to witness it. Tell, tell us something about KD that you've noticed throughout the years. Chris, the biggest difference in Kevin Durant compared to pretty much everybody else I've covered through time, he is the most regimented dude that you've ever seen in how he approaches his workouts. Every time you see him, after a practice, after a shoot-around, he's going through the same shooting drills. He's doing the exact same thing every day. And the only player through all these years that I've seen approach it the same way is Steph Curry. That's why it was insane that one year I was in Oakland, and I'm watching them do the same thing every day because people are always like, well, how did they get that good? And I'm here to tell you they got that good because they're practicing exactly what they want to do all the time and anecdotally on top of the work i see him put in day to day the coolest part about watching kevin and getting to talk to him through these last few years is the guy just loves basketball i mean he knows so much about the league he knows so much about college ball everybody always focuses on always on twitter and instagram and, and doing all that stuff okay like that's what he he does and that's what he enjoys doing in his off time but he knows so much about what is happening on all levels. And when you're playing any team and you're talking about whatever guy, he's got a scouting report on him. And, and oh, yeah, that guy's on a 10-day with the Clippers. They're like, huh? Kevin Durant knows this? And Kevin Durant does. Like, he just loves the game, and he loves the role that he's in now. And I can tell you guys, having watched him for as long as I have, the reason the Nets feel so confident despite all the up-and-down nature of their roster is because Kevin's playing the best basketball I've seen him play in his career. And given what he's already done, that is saying something because we know what kind of level he can play at all the time anyway. A similar question about Steve Nash. You covered Steve Kerr when he was with the Warriors and had to manage all those egos and everything like that. You've been covering the Nets for a few months now. How are Steve Nash and Steve Kerr similar as far as coaching goes? Adam, they're really laid back. They are not the type of guys who are going to get up Tib style and go bark at somebody and scream and yell all the time. Nash, especially as a not, a, not just a former player, but a former MVP at the highest level, he knows the way he would approach things, and he tries to manage his team that way. The difference to me, and it's been interesting in seeing the, the similarities and the differences between Nash and Kerr, Kerr guys knew how the media game was played. He knew what we as media people were looking for, and he knew how to carve out the narrative that he wanted for his team on that specific day. 
Nash, he just doesn't care that much and, and doesn't want to invest into the back and forth. I think he's a really nice guy, but we've already seen it several times this year. He's been caught in a few lies, and some are bigger than others, like we're not going to trade James Harden. And then a few days later, <laughs> that's exactly what they do. But that is a real difference to me off the floor in that I think both guys are very good at managing the egos and play in this era of the game. But Kerr is the best I have ever seen. I'd say Joe Madden's also very good. But in managing what he wants people thinking and saying about his team, and Nash as a coach hasn't adapted the same way. He's still approaching it as a former player who's kind of trying to find his own voice in that regard of this job. Nick, I've really enjoyed watching the Grizzlies this year, and John Morant is incredible. Do you see any similarities to uh, the Bulls with Derrick Rose when he won the MVP in that season to the Grizzlies this season? Very much so, Chris. And having watched them last night, those memories were coming back (laughs) stronger than ever, not only because I'm I'm sitting there watching Ja on the bench going, oh, man, I hope his knee isn't that bad. But there is an energy that they're playing with as a young group together that they're enjoying being out there and winning. And I was actually talking to one of the members of the Grizzlies staff yesterday because the, the similarities between Derek and Ja are very strong. They're athletic as hell. They can get up and down the floor. Everybody loves playing with them. But what I remember, guys, is how much those first – couple years of Tibbs teams loved being with each other and the stories were always that when they would go out everybody would go out (laughs) everybody was together you got 10 11 12 guys at the club together because they just enjoy being around each other and I'm thinking of that post-game interview last night with Malika the whole damn team's over there jumping around and celebrating the win in the the type of environment that Taylor Jenkins has structured for his team is pretty impressive because you realize they're good now. Ja will get better so long as he stays healthy, and this team will learn how to play with each other even more. I don't think they're ready to win a title this year, but I think they're right on the cusp, just like those first teams with Derek were when Tibbs was running the show and they were winning 60 games. Nick Ferdell from Thursday night when we talked to him the other night here on Black and Abdallah. We'll be back with more. This is Fast Break with Jay Hood and Chris Black. Follow us on Twitter at TweetJayHood and at Chris Black. The Fast Break continues right now on ESPN 1000, 100.3 HD2 and the ESPN Chicago app. White Sox baseball coming up in five minutes right here on ESPN 1000. You're home for White Sox baseball. You'll hear Len Casper and Darren Jackson with the call of the game coming up in five minutes right here on ESPN 1000. For fast break, check out the podcast on the ESPN Chicago app. Jonathan Hood's off this week. He'll be back next week's Saturdays 1-3 to throughout the spring talking NBA and Bulls basketball with you right here on ESPN 1000. And thank you to, to Jay Cantu for producing today's show. I'm Chris Black. I'll be back with you on Monday uh, at 6 with Black and Abdallah right here on ESPN 1000. Big game for the Bulls tonight facing the, the Cavs in Cleveland. It's the final matchup between the, the Bulls and the Cavs. The first outing, December the 8th in Cleveland. Cleveland beat the Bulls 115-92. to The second time they met was January the 19th in Chicago. The Bulls won that game 117-104. 
That was a really good win for the Bulls. March 12th, the Bulls met the Cavs in Chicago as well. And the Bulls won that game 101-91. to In that contest, DeMar DeRozan had 25, and Vooch had 14 rebounds to lead the way for the Bulls. Darius Garland had 25 points. Darius Garland's been playing great basketball as of late for the Cavs. Uh, as a, Over the last 10 games, in a 10-game span, he's the youngest player to achieve 25-plus points per game and 12-plus assists per game in any 10-game span in the regular season in NBA history. Younger than Oscar Robertson, younger than Isaiah Thomas, and younger than Chris Paul. Darius Garland is playing fantastic basketball. And we'll see tonight. Caruso is probable. DeRozan is probable. We'll see if both guys play, and we'll see if the Bulls can get a much-needed win on the road where they have definitely struggled as of late. I'm Chris Bleck. Bulls basketball, uh, we'll keep our eyes on it. Hopefully, as uh, this show continues on in the spring, we'll have better days to talk about things as we head towards the playoffs since the Bulls have lost quite a few as of late. Talk to you later. Talk to you Monday. ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.